Sometimes the reality of words is that they don't do full justice to the message that's being shared. Think about that one just one more time. Sometimes words do not do full justice to the message that they are trying to share. I'm going to let us chew on that one just a little bit as we start to dive into our time together here this morning. And as we do that, the very first thing I want to do with you is I want to show you a video from one of our own families here. And I'm really grateful to the Gorisky family. Uh, I did get permission from them ahead of time to share this video with you. They were gracious enough to say, yeah, you can go ahead and use this. Some of you may know the Griskies. They're awesome. I heard Daniel talking about some of our other, we're really blessed here. Harrison, the Griskies, a lot. You got, we're, just, we're very blessed with the families and the people that are here. And if you know the Griskies at all, they serve in a variety of ways and places, but they have four children, and their youngest, Aaron, is currently stationed in Alaska, and he is serving in the Air Force, and we're really grateful for all that he is doing. A couple of weeks ago, though, the Griskies experienced something. There's just no use of me trying to tell you about it. It would be much better to watch what actually happened. So if we could, let's go ahead and watch this video of what occurred in their family just a few weeks ago. Tickets. You never know. Maybe. Look at her. She's waiting. It's taking Brent forever to get Paul out. She heard car door, and I thought really. (laughs) (laughs) Did she drop the cat? I can't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you open it? Not yet. No, they told me to wait. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, again, I'm really grateful. Yeah, you can celebrate that. Absolutely. Uh, if you were watching carefully, I can tell you the cat is okay. If you were watching, kind of thrown to the side in the surprise of it all. But, I mean, what a great and wonderful thing, not just the surprise, but that whole sense of coming home. You can imagine how excited Aaron must have been in those moments to come home, and obviously for his family to be at home and welcoming him. Uh, again, just express appreciation appreciation to the Griskies for letting us do that. Now, I could have said to you, hey, everybody, this really cool thing happened a couple weeks ago. Aaron came home, and he visited his family at home. And y'all would have been like, ah, you know, that's nice, that's okay, sure, all right. But it's way better for us to be able to look what just happened and and get even a sense of experience with them of him walking in the door and and their excitement and their surprise. And of course, it would have been even better if we could have been there with them in those moments as Aaron walked through the door. Now, that was not possible this morning, but what was possible was to do more than just say, hey, everyone, here's a few words and describe to you, Aaron came home and surprised his family. It was way different to watch what was actually in the video and then really be able to play in our mind and even feel along with them in the surprise of him coming home. I shared that with you this morning because in a lot of ways, this is what Isaiah is trying to do with us here this morning. If you've been with us these last number of weeks, we've been talking about the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. He's been our guide through this season of Advent, which is that time of preparation for the coming of Christ, first as a tiny baby boy, but also for us in the future. There will be another time when Christ returns. And so what Isaiah is doing is he's doing his very best to say, get ready. But here's the thing about Isaiah, and we'll unpack this as we go throughout our time together this morning. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet, and Old Testament prophets, sometimes they'll just give you a description of what's happening, but they realize those words only go so far. 
those words only take us so far. So one of the things that Old Testament prophets do is they share words, but they share them in different kinds of ways. So a lot of times they'll share in poetry. And one of the reasons they do that is they're trying to put language together in a way that it conveys or does full justice to the message they're trying to give. So poetry conveys images and metaphors and meaning that the words by themselves just don't fully capture. And what, this morning, we're going to go through Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 to 10. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to invite you to open with me. Those are the verses we'll be looking at, chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. And here's the overarching message of what Isaiah is trying to do with us here this morning. And this is what he's trying to help us understand. And this is basically what he is saying. Even my words don't do justice to what I'm about to tell you, but here's my absolute best attempt. And it's this. He is writing to a people in exile. He is writing to a people who are about to enter into exile or have already experienced it. Depending on where you are in the book of Isaiah, it's one of those two perspectives. So he either spends a long time saying, hey, everybody, get ready. This isn't going to be pretty. You're about to be homeless. You're about to be in exile. You're about to enter a time of chaos and wandering and looking around, and it's going to be an awful time. Or he's saying to them, you already know what this is like. Chaos reigns right now. You don't have any secure place to be. You don't have any place to be fully known. Again, you're wandering. You're in exile. You're homeless. But, says Isaiah, and this is the part he wants us to get, you will not be in exile forever. And here's how you will be delivered from your exile. A Savior will come. His name will be Jesus, and he will be a tiny baby boy born among you. This Savior will be your light. And this light will shine into your darkness. This light will break the exile that you're in. And that is such an important message. That is such a, a reality-altering message that Isaiah is like, I'm not just going to tell you about it. I'm going to give you every word picture, every image, every metaphor I can think of to even help you start to get a sense of the magnitude of this new reality where the light comes and bursts among you and breaks your exile so that you will have a place to truly call home. That's essentially what Isaiah is trying to do with us. And if you've been with us these last number of weeks, you'll remember how we've been unpacking that. The first week we recognized that when this light comes, it brings us comfort. No matter how much wandering we're doing in our life right now, no matter how unrooted we may feel right now, no matter how unknown we may feel right now, this one brings us comfort. And then the second week we talked about the idea of Christ as the light shining into our darkness. This light is also wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So no matter what darkness you're in right now, know that there's one who understands you. Know that there's one who can give you strength and power. Know there's one who can give you peace no matter what's going on in your world. Receive that light. And then last week, Pastor Janet led us through this sense of understanding that when the Savior comes, he will bring ultimate healing. Not, not just a physical healing, you know, like getting better from a cold or when a cut heals, but healing in all of creation. Evil will be wiped away. Division will be wiped away. Healing will hop, happen in all of creation, so much so that even lions and lambs can lay down together. Healing will happen in such a way that a small child can be near a snake and not be bitten. That kind of healing is going to happen when this light enters into our world. And now today what Isaiah is sharing with us as well is this idea of home. That when this light comes, we finally don't have to be in exile anymore. We don't have to wander anymore. When Jesus comes, we can find home. True, ultimate, good, wonderful home. And Isaiah is going to pull out all the stops 
to do everything he can to help us understand what does that really mean? Now, I have to put a disclaimer in here for us this morning. I realize that when I say home, for some of us, that is a good and wonderful thing. It's the reason that college students might be excited to come home. They get to eat some of mom's home cooking. They get to sleep in. They get the comforts of home. It's that place where they're known and where they can be comfortable. It's it's why at this time of the year you hear songs like there's no place like home being sung and this sort of place of just belonging. and, And for all of us, that's what home should be. But we also know that for some of us, home is not a pretty place. Home is a place maybe of chaos, brokenness, pain, maybe even abusive in different ways. In those cases, home is is not a good thing. And especially at this time of the year, home may be painful because home may remind us of emptiness. Maybe there were some loved ones there not too long ago, and now for whatever reason, they're not there. And so in our own homes, there's a sense of emptiness. So I want to be really careful here with us to say that when Isaiah is talking about the sense of home, he's not talking bricks and mortar. He's not talking if you have a kitchen or not or your bedroom. He is talking about your ultimate place of belonging, your ultimate place of security, your ultimate place of being fully known in a good and wonderful and safe way. That if your physical home isn't those things, Isaiah is saying, come into this sense of home. Come and just be and be known. That's what Jesus, this Savior, this one who's born among us, the one we're getting ready to welcome, that's what he provides, ultimate home. Maybe you've heard this saying, uh, it's called home is where the heart is. You've probably heard that saying at some point in your life. That's an old saying. It's actually over 2,000 years old. There was a Roman philosopher named Gaius Plinius Secundus. I mean, that is a mouthful for you. I love the fact this is a true story. His friends literally called him Pliny. Like, I just kind of love that. Like, they don't want to say all this long stuff. Say, hey, Pliny, uh, you know, he said this, home is where the heart is. That's more what we're talking about here. Or maybe you've heard of Augustine. He was a great early church saint and scholar. One of the things that he said is that our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. In other words, we're going to wander, we're going to search until our hearts don't have to be restless anymore when they find ultimate rest in Christ alone. That's where our sense of home is. That's where our sense of belonging is. That's what Isaiah is trying to communicate to us here this morning. That's what he wants to understand as we're getting ready in this season of Advent. Come home as Jesus defines for you. Come home and be known, and you don't have to wander anymore and find a sense of rootedness and depth in your life. Come home and just be. In Christ alone, this light who breaks in among us, you can, you will find home. Now, I can say that to you again, but here's the thing, and this is, we're going to look at this here in just a moment. Verses 1 to 10 of chapter 35, I can tell you Jesus is home, and we're like, okay, and maybe we even try to appreciate that, but again, what I love that Isaiah does, he doesn't just give us words, he gives us images. It's a little bit like when you watch a movie, you can listen to the verbal words that are being spoken, and that conveys a sense of meaning, but what do they always, also, almost always put in movies? They put some kind of musical score underneath, which helps you feel some high highs and some lows lows and a sense of anticipation. Why? Because the words only go so far. The music helps take us beyond just the meaning of those words into new places. I've mentioned before, but just try sometime watching a horror movie without the music on. It is a totally different experience. The music conveys something that the words alone can't do. There's a little bit of that going on here in what Isaiah is doing with us this morning. Yes, he's using words, but those words give us images and metaphors to consider. So this is what I want to ask. 
I'm going to read through Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 10, but when I do that, I invite you to be looking at the screen and and just hear the words, but see the images that Isaiah is lifting up to us this morning, because these images are the ones that he's using to help us get a sense of what home in Christ means. And remember, especially against the backdrop of a people who are in exile, can you imagine what home would have sounded like to a people wandering and lost? Keep that in mind as you hear these words this morning, and hopefully, as we do that, it'll break the normal boundaries of what words, like to how far they go, like see the images in this as well. So here we are, verses 1 to 10. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He'll come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. The wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Can we start to even begin to hear beyond just the words? of what home means. What Isaiah is doing for us here this morning is he's reframing for us what home is really all about. As you go through this, he's trying to provide for us an ultimate sense of home. Again, not the bricks and the mortar, but an ultimate sense of what home is really all about. So if you go through some of those verses we just talked about, you heard how this reframing of home begins to happen. He says, home is not the desert. It is not this parched land. 
He says, it's not where feeble hands occur and where knees grow weak. He says, it's not where evil happens among us. It's not where gossip reigns. It's not where tearing down occurs. It's not where strokes unexpectedly happen. It's not where children are left to fend for themselves. It's not where you go home and there's arguing and yelling at each other. It's not where there's abuse. It's not any of those things, says Isaiah. Instead, what is home? Home is where blind eyes begin to see. And home is where ears that could not hear begin to hear. And home is where those who couldn't walk or those who couldn't jump can jump with joy. Home is where those who couldn't make any sound can shout for joy. This is what home is, says Isaiah. So again, I can say that to us this morning. There might even be a sense of, hey, great. I mean, I, I want to experience this home. I, I would welcome that home. But here's the thing. I can talk all day long about what home is, but what good is it if I know about home without knowing home? So Isaiah, again, helps us out here this morning. How do we make that shift from just knowing about to actually experience? How do we experience home? Isaiah gives us a clue on how to take the journey the way there how to experience the way there. Look what it says with me in verse eight this morning. It says this, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. So what is he doing? Here Isaiah is explaining how are we going to experience home by taking the journey of the way. So think of it this way a little bit. I think what Isaiah is doing here is giving us a little bit of a play on words. He says, take the highway to the way. Take the highway to the highway. One of the things that I think about like this is this. Think of highway, one word, that thing that you walk on the road, and think of highway as two separate words, the highway. So what is Isaiah saying? I want you to take the highway to this higher way, the way of Christ. How is it that we're going to do that? How is it that we start to experience that? Isaiah here in chapter 35 does something interesting. Chapter 35 is kind of a link to the rest of the book. It's almost, it's not quite a halfway point in terms of the physical place of where chapter 35 is, but it's a link of everything that happened before and a link of everything that's to come in the book of Isaiah as a whole. And one of the ways we know that, in the book of Isaiah, the term highway is used seven times. Three of those times happen prior to chapter 35 here this morning. And, and then three of those times happen after chapter 35 here this morning. And part of what Isaiah is doing is all the concepts in the first half of Isaiah, he links them to chapters 40 to 55 in the second part of Isaiah. And one of the ways he does that is with this concept of highway. And what he's trying to help us understand this is this. The way home is to take the highway again to the way. Now, for Isaiah, home is something that we heard in verse 10. If you were listening carefully earlier, he uses the term Zion. He doesn't say home, he says Zion. Zion is this place of ultimate victory, this place of ultimate peace, this place where you can finally rest and be known and sing forever and ever. That's Zion, that's home for Isaiah. How are you going to get there? Take the highway to the way. Step back with me for just a moment. What is a highway? You know what that is in our day and in our age. They had highways during Isaiah's time, but not like what we have. I mean, it wasn't all nice and paved and smooth, but they did have the concept of a highway, meaning a way to go somewhere. That concept was picked up later on by people like the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire did not invent 
highways. However, they greatly improved them. So for example, during the time of the Roman Empire, which within about 400 years after Isaiah is writing this, the Roman Empire came along and they said, hey, this highway thing is good, but we think we can do a better job with it. And they did. They created something called the Appian Way. If you've ever heard of that, uh, it's literally just a more significant way that they created a nicer highway of sorts. Again, not quite like what we have today, but it was a 132-mile stretch, and they developed it about 312 B.C., so about 400 years after Isaiah, about 300 years before Jesus, and they developed this Appian Way, and here's why this was significant. For one of the first times in history, people who lived relatively far away could easily travel and connect with other people. They could easily travel and do business with other people. They could easily travel and exchange goods with other people. So the result of this Appian Way, this better road, was literally more connection among people, but it also fostered vitality. If you were the owners of the Appian Way, which the Roman Empire was, you were sitting pretty because you controlled how people connected. And along that connection, life began to flourish. Good things began to flourish. This would be a crude way of saying it. They didn't have what we today call the World Wide Web, but that was their version of the World Wide Web, as it were. It let them connect when they couldn't connect before. It let people from far away connect and interact in a way they never had before. So all that to say, this Appian Way is a really big deal. It allowed that connection, it allowed that fostering of vitality. Now take that concept of highway from, from uh, Isaiah, and now it's starting to develop like this physical way allowing for connection and vitality. Over time, the concept of taking a highway or just the way, it became more figurative in nature. So people would say, this is my way of life, meaning this is how I do life. This is the direction in life I go. This is how I'm going to live my life. That's what they meant by way of life. And then you get all the way to the time of Jesus, and do you remember in the book of Acts, people who followed Jesus and the way he taught and the way he lived in a peculiar way, do you remember the reference that was given in Acts as a distinctive mark of people who followed Jesus Christ? They were literally called people of the way. So now it's not just a physical highway, it's not just a figurative way of life. By following the practices of Jesus himself and living in a particular way that revealed that they were following a different Lord, the people who followed Jesus' life literally became called the way, people of the way. So now put that on top of what Isaiah is sharing here this morning. Take the highway, live a particular way, acknowledge who is Lord, live into that, and now you begin to live a different way in the way of life found in the higher way of Jesus Christ. And he wrote this like 700 years before the way of Christ was ever among us. And he's sharing it to say, this is what's going to happen. This is what's coming your way. So when you are given the opportunity, take this highway, experience it, embrace it, live it. It's more than a way of life. It's the way of life. And Isaiah is trying to help us understand that. And he says, if you do that, you'll experience Zion. You'll experience home to the nth degree. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's holy. And Isaiah's like, it's true. It's true. You don't have to be in exile anymore. You can come home in the way. But here's the thing. What good does a road or a highway do you if you're only aware of it, but you never travel it? You, you lose in two ways when it comes to highway. If you're not even aware it exists, you can't take it. Uh, where my parents live, there are two lanes. One that's more paved is about three-quarters of a mile long. There's another dirt road that's only about half a mile long. 
Unless you uh, live where my parents do, you're not going to know about that second lane that's only half a mile long. And believe me, when you have a choice and get off the bus and it's freezing cold, you want to know where the second one is so that you can take it home. you got to be aware of it. But here's the other thing. What good is it to be aware of that way, but then not travel it? In either case, you don't end up getting to your destination. You don't end up getting home. You don't end up experiencing the way. And so part of what Isaiah is doing here for us this morning, he is saying, don't just see the way of Christ. Walk the way of Christ. Don't just see the highway. Walk the highway. Don't just be aware, Jesus. Walk and experience Jesus. How? Number one, says Isaiah, you become aware that Jesus is there. And when you do, Lord, I welcome you as my Lord and Savior. I open my heart to you. I don't want to just know about you, Jesus. I want to know you. Will you come into my heart and be my Savior, my Lord? And then we begin to walk together towards and in home. And then we're not lost anymore. We're not wandering anymore. We're not without root anymore. We're known and valued, and loved. Come home, Zion, come home. I've told you before, it's a special place to me. My parents live on a farm. I've told you that, obviously, a number of times. I had a chance to grow up there, and one of the things I appreciate about my parents' farm more now, I'll just admit to you, I did not appreciate it nearly enough growing up. Uh, I was oftentimes doing chores and other things, and that was not always my favorite thing. But when I had to move away, home became a much sweeter place became a much more significant place. And now, whenever my family gets an opportunity, we like to go home. We like to go to my parents' farm. It really is a bit of a sanctuary for us. With the age of my kids right now, we don't get there nearly as often as we used to. Uh, hopefully, as life moves along, we'll get chances to go back there a little bit more often than what we currently do. But I will tell you this, whenever we get to go and be at home, it's a good and wonderful thing for me personally. It's a chance to just rest. It's a chance to experience sanctuary. It's a chance to breathe in the midst of the craziness of life. I love going there whenever I get a chance. When I was growing up, particularly as a teenager, again, I told you about the two lanes at my parents' house. I would get off the bus and walk the dirt road home. But most people take the more paved lane, which is about three quarters of a mile long. And where my parents live, there are no close neighbors. I think the closest one's about a mile away. So that's, that's a neighbor in my parents' world. But on their lane, you can take a walk. And when I was a teenager and when life was at some of its most difficult points for me, I would take a walk on my parents' lane and there's a hill on the lane. And when I would walk to that place on the hill, on the lane, particularly in the evenings as the sun would be setting, I could look at the beauty of the sunset as its light literally came down on my parents' home, the crops, the lane, me. And I just felt in that space and in that place, I could really rest and be at peace and be reminded of God's presence. And it was so, so good. I could just relax and, and be. And so it was a treat in the evening time as the sun would begin to set to take that walk on the lane and watch the sunset. But more than that, give God the struggles, the pains that I was in and somehow receive a sense of security and peace. Now, I can come this morning, I can tell you all about that, and I can stand here, and right now, I can think about home, and I can think about that wonderful place, and I can think about the warm memories that it brought me, but here's the thing. Unless I get in the car, try that again, 
get to that paved lane and get to that place on the hill and then take that lane all the way to my parents' house. I will not experience my mom's great cooking. I will not experience my dad's contagious laugh. And I will not experience a hug from each of them. Only by traveling the lane, only by being aware of home and then traveling to get there, do I experience what home is really all about. Aaron Gorisky in Alaska can think with fondness about what home is for him. But until he takes the airways and the highways and comes all the way home and opens the door, not just by being aware of home, but taking the journey there, only then does he receive the hug of his loved ones. Today, Isaiah says, don't just be aware of the way. Take the highway to the one whose arms are open wide, the one who comes to us, the one who wants to embrace us, that we too may know in every sense, the best senses of the word, that we too are home. And when we do that, church, we don't just experience a flicker of hope, we experience the full thrill of hope, of the light of Jesus Christ. So church, this Christmas, come home, come home, come home. You don't have to be in exile anymore. Come home.